0: Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 3. You can find it on page 1073 in your Pew Bible. If you did not bring a Bible with you, that you're welcome to read along in that one. Also, if you do not own a Bible, we encourage you to take this one from us. It is not stealing. It is a free gift. We believe in the power of God's Word. Now last week we started here in John 17, and we're going to spend a good amount of time leading up till Easter going through this prayer of Jesus's. And we spend our time in the first and the second verse in which Jesus begins praying that the Son may be glorified, in which he's talking about his time on the cross. because when Jesus is praying this prayer, it is on the night that he is to be betrayed. In fact, when you flip to John 18, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and then is arrested and taken into custody. On this night, Jesus has already washed disciples' feet. He's broken bread, blessed the cup, dismissed Judas from their presence, taught him a few more things, and then goes to God in prayer. Let us now read Jesus' prayer. Verse three, he prays. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, in this prayer, in this beginning, when Jesus is asking that the Son be glorified, in verse 2, he makes a couple statements about himself. He he says in verse 2, right before verse 3, he says that he has been given that the Son has the authority of all flesh underneath him. He's authority over all the flesh. And then he says, so that he may give eternal life to those whom God has given him. Jesus makes this statement saying that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he is the anointed one that has been prophesied of and has been told that is coming. And then he says, this is eternal life because Jesus and God are both aware of what eternal life is. There is no need for them to communicate that with one another, other than Jesus is fully aware that he is praying in front of his disciples so that they may hear and that they may go on teaching what eternal life is. And he says it with such clarity. He says, and this is eternal life. That you, that this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And here, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that being Christian is so much more than simply having access to a get out of hell free card. It's not something that you get to use once in this game of life and you play and that you hope with this get out of hell free card you don't land on the go to jail space or you roll doubles three times in a row. Jesus proclaims that the salvation we have is more than the get out of hell free card. It is not primarily about what we have been saved from. That the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, this eternal life in which we have been given is primarily about to whom we have been saved to. It's about God. It's to know, to love, to enjoy to glorify God and Jesus Christ and to live with them forever. For when he prays and that this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ whom you have sent, this small phrase within Jesus' great high priestly prayer carries such giant implications for our lives. In it, he makes the statement, the only and true God, that there is no other. Many people believe in the only and true God. Many will claim that there is no God. Yet as humans, something in our life will be our God. Whatever we serve, whatever we make the most important, we turn into little G-gods in our life and we serve them. We're slaves to them. They are our master. And Jesus wants to make it abundantly clear for those who are in Christ, we serve and we live unto the only true God. The only one who can give life. The only one who can grant eternal life. The only one worth serving. For all other gods and things we make into gods only lead to our death and destruction. It's only through Christ Jesus and the Father that we get eternal life. And he says his prayer is that they know you. That we would know God. Not that we would just know of God, right? So there's a difference in knowing of or about someone and then actually knowing them, right? I know of the Queen of England. I don't know her. She might be a lovely lady, but I don't know that. Because I don't know her. There's no personal relationship there. Jesus, when he's praying this, isn't saying that we would simply know about God, but that we would know him on a personal level, a deep relationship. Because it's Jesus modeling this prayer in which he calls him father in which when he teaches us to pray, when the disciples ask, well, how should we pray? He says, pray like this, our Father. Jesus implies and explicitly then tells us that eternal life is about having this deep relationship personally with God. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, that to know there is a God and to not trust him is to be dead in the middle of a great light. For there's a difference in knowing of and knowing. To know God is to feel his presence, to be aware of him all around you, to rejoice in being with him. On a real level, It's to be on speaking terms with him, to not shut him out of our lives, but to seek his counsel, his wisdom, to celebrate with, to grieve alongside, to look for leadership, to seek to glorify, to know God is more than just resting in this understanding. He's given us the Holy Spirit. To know God is a a desire to know his full character, his his will. And he's given us a revelation in the Holy Scriptures of who he is, of his purposes, of his will for what he plans for his glory. Can we know God as Jesus says as to what eternal life is and yet never enter into his word? We would say that's absurd. Yet many try it. Many attempt to know God without having a desire or an inkling or an opening of his word to seek and to know him. To seek first his kingdom. If, if your idea of eternity is something other than knowing God and Jesus Christ and spending all of your time with them in their presence, then you are settling for something that is less than what God is wanting to give you. For all throughout Scripture, the presence of God is described as this incredible, unbearable light that upon if we saw God, we would die instantly. And yet what we are granted through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross is that eternally we get to spend with his presence as we were created to be, as Adam, was originally created to be in the garden with God forever. See, it's because of what Christ accomplished on the cross and his resurrection, in which our sins and the sins we gained from Adam are not counted against us, but Jesus bears them on his life and dies. And we are given Jesus' perfect righteousness. And three days later, Jesus is resurrected, proving that death can't hold God down, sealing the deal on our forgiveness. And it's through Jesus that we are restored and reconciled to God so that this personal relationship with God is possible, that there is no longer a need to be fearful, that when we come to God, that we might receive condemnation. But because of Christ Jesus, what we receive when we go to God is love and grace and forgiveness and a joy that fills our souls that allow us to sing amazing grace. How sweet sound. For that's the sound we hear when we go to God is amazing grace. Not wrathful vengeance. It's because of Christ. See, the get of the gospel. The get of the gospel is God. We get God. God of the universe. God the creator. The only true God. We get him. We get a relationship with him. To call him father. To walk with him. To talk with him. To claim him as our own. This is what we get. Because of what Christ did. And yet. Many of us aren't looking forward to an eternity with the presence of God. We have other ideas of what eternal life is like. Jesus told, gave an illustration about this very nature. It's in Luke chapter 15. In the beginning of that chapter, he talks about lost sheep, and then he talks about lost coin. And then he goes on, and we call it the parable of the prodigal son, but Jesus often likes to talk in groups of three, so it's probably best if we call it the parable of the lost son, to evaluate lostness. And as Jesus tells this parable, it goes that there's a father. He has an eldest son and a, and a younger son. And apparently he's quite wealthy with many things and both one day will receive a great inheritance. And the younger son just cannot wait. And the younger son goes to the father and demands his inheritance now. Essentially by doing so, he is telling his father, I have no need for you and I wish you were dead. The father grants him his request. He's given this inheritance and then he runs off and with licentious and debaucherous behavior goes through all of his inheritance and finds himself in the depths of the deepest darkness he's ever known. And it was there that he comes to the realization that even the pigs are taken care of better and eat better than he currently is. Maybe he can find a way back to his father. As he's going back to the father, he's trying to figure out how he will confess his sins and ask for repentance, not to be restored to sonship, but to even just be a servant. And the father sees him from a distance and goes running to him and slings open his arms and embraces him with a giant hug, throws a robe around him and gives him the family ring, restoring him and redeeming him to full sonship. Then he goes and tells the servants to kill the fatted calf for they're having a party, for his son has returned. As Jesus tells this story, during that party, he points out that the eldest son is not there, that the father notices the eldest son out in the field. And when the father goes to approach him, the eldest son is upset. How come you never threw me and my friends apart? We've been here the whole time. And the Father says, all that is mine is yours, for I've always been here with you. See, both the eldest and the youngest did not desire the Father, but only the things of the Father. And Jesus wants to make it perfectly clear that eternal life is this. To know, to be with the only true God for eternal life. We get God. God is the prize. This relationship with God is the prize of the gospel. That the separation that occurred there in the garden has been restored that we now have a friend, a father, a confidant, someone we can go to when we need guidance, someone we can go to when we want to celebrate, and someone we can go to when we're grieving. But through it all, he is there. And because of Christ, he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so when Jesus prays that they would know that you would know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. By adding, and Jesus Christ whom he sent, we remember that this is the triune God, but we remember that God sent his son to save us. And in the scripture, he tells us, In John chapter 12, verse 44 and 45, he says, Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. And in John 14, beginning in verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him, and this is eternal life, that because of Jesus Christ and the knowing of him and the trusting in him and having faith in his redemptive work on the cross, you have eternal life with the Father. Praise be to God. Amen.